Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Define University podcast. Actually, we are already at episode nine. How does that happen? Man, these weeks are flying by, and I am loving, I am loving this platform a little bit more every single week. I think it's one of those things, just like anything we do in life, you know, the more we do it, the more it becomes a habit, the more that we perfect what we're doing, the more that we get into the groove, it just becomes easier. And I know for me, I'll go back and I'll listen to those first couple episodes and absolutely I can hear, you know, where I'm like, ooh, I would change that or man, I'm not really sure what I was thinking. But at the end of the day, it's 100% me. It's me showing up as my authentic self and what better message to send into the world, especially from someone having a business called Define University. Guys, we've got to define ourselves with who we are, the stories we share, and that's whether we are in the classroom, outside of the classroom, you name it, we've got to live into who we are meant to be every single day. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Clearly, I needed to share that because that is not what we are talking about on this episode, but instead we are diving into power struggles. So this is a topic that continuously comes up in my feed. I see it in my day-to-day job as a behavior specialist. Guys, I even get into them. I get into them with my own daughter, with my husband, you name it. Power struggles are a, they're a part of life in all honesty. However, what we are going to talk about today is ways to prevent them from happening. We're going to talk about how do we react when we are in them, and then what do we do after we've been in a power struggle? Because let's be 100% honest, we all have been. And if you haven't, I would love I'd love for you to reach out to me because I'm not sure how that is possible. So anytime I mention the word power struggle, the infamous scene from The Breakfast Club just pops into my head. If you have not seen this movie yet, let me give you a little background. So students are in Saturday morning detention, which I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Hopefully it's not. I'm not sure. But they're in Saturday morning detention. And John, one of the students and Mr. Vernon, who I believe is the assistant principal, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, they're in the they're in the library. And they basically, John, the character says, eat my shorts in a, in a whisper, in that under the breath, mumble kind of way. And Mr. Vernon does the thing that we've all seen a teacher do. Yes, I've even done it once or twice myself. We asked the question that nobody wants to ask. And he said, what was that? What'd you say? Well, so John, the character says it even louder. Eat my shorts. He goes, repeat that one more time. You just bought yourself one more detention. So John says it again. And Mr. Vernon reacts again. And you get the point. They go back and forth. That is the quintessential power struggle. It is the conflict cycle. It is an argument. We can call it so many things. But ultimately, it's an interaction. I'm going to even take it one step further than that. It's a confrontation between two people who are both trying to win. 
All right, what I want, I want you to do for me right now is picture a clock. So at 12 o'clock, picture you have a stressful event. A stressful event happens, and where the three o'clock is, you have the students' thoughts and feelings. Where six o'clock would be, you have the observable behavior that happens, and at nine o'clock, you have your adult reaction. Guys, the adult reaction part, how we react, how we respond, how we provide input back to the student is what either keeps this conflict, this power struggle going, and that's actually going to strengthen it, or if we can step back, if we can remove ourselves from this, we have the power to stop or minimize this power struggle from continuing. But it's it's about recognition. And that's when we talk about when we get to the reaction, the reaction part, it's totally about that recognition. If you don't recognize that you're in it, there's no way that you can get out of it. But I've kind of skipped ahead. Let's go back. Let's touch on some ways that we can prevent this from happening. Like I mentioned before, though, these are, they're a part of life. They do happen, but there are things that we can do to really prevent them from happening or to reduce the likelihood that they're going to happen in the future. And number one, this hopefully is not a shocker for any of you, but it's relationships, relationships, relationships. Guys, the more that we know our students and the more that they know us, there isn't this need to get in the power struggle because the power struggle, remember, is two people trying to win. Because if we're in it to win it, we've already lost. If as an educator, that is my goal, I am done. I'm done before I've even said my first word of the day. Instead, to me, an educator, our role is to shine the light so the student can see the path that they are creating and they get to decide how are they creating that path today based on my guidance, on my coaching, on my teaching. All right, so relationships, I cannot emphasize enough. That is crucial to preventing a power struggle from happening. Another way we can do that is through choices. So opening up the way, the pathway that the students can let their knowledge out is really gonna reduce a power struggle. If I'm saying there's only one way that you can show me this information, whether that's through a test, whether it's through an essay, whether it's through whatever means it is, if we aren't opening up this option of choice, we are more likely to get into a power struggle because if a student says no, what do we then do? I, I was in an English class a couple months ago and I really struggled in helping this team because the student asked beautifully, can I write this, can I write this essay in a PowerPoint format? For him, that was just the easiest way that he could wrap his brain around doing all of this work. Instead of doing it on a Google Doc, he wanted to do it in PowerPoint. And they said no. And I, I was floored by it because here he is, he's advocating for what he needs. It would have been a really, in my mind, and I understand it's my mind, would have been a really easy way to say, hey, absolutely, great idea, I love that. Keep on, you know, keep going with it. At the end of the day, the writing is gonna be the same. But it was, they were stuck in this, well, this is how we've done it. This is how this the standard says it has to be done. This is how the end product needs to be. And my piece was, let's praise the effort over the end product. We're not even there yet. And we've already told this student no. Why couldn't he write it in PowerPoint and then copy and paste it into a Word document when we are done? But what happened is the teacher was looking at it through one lens and wasn't able to see, guys, there's multiple pathways to getting to that end result. 
But if we aren't praising the effort our students are taking to get towards that end result, that's what happens and the student shut down. And guess what? When I checked in two weeks later, the student never did that assignment. Now, I don't know had he been able to use PowerPoint. I, I can't predict the future. I don't know that he definitely would have done it. But I know for certain that power struggle that happened in the classroom that day would not have happened. All right, the third thing we can do is we can start with why when we are teaching. As we live in an interest in an interest driven world, a service delivery world for these students that we are working with, they need to know the why. How is this going to impact me as a student? How is this going to make me a better person? If we are starting with the how or the what, we're going to lose them every single time. Start with why. And this takes one, two, maybe three minutes. It's the hook. We, we all learned this in teacher prep school, but I think we got so, so bogged down with it needs to be this certain way. And I know for me, when I went through my schooling, it was like scripted out. And, and I think we're so far beyond that now. I think we're so far beyond this scripted response. And it's just, you know your students best, hook them in, let them know the why, and then give them the choices, let them explore and figure out what's going to work for them. Number four, check in with students who argue with you the most before class even starts. Catch them at the door and say, hey, how you doing today? What's going on? Here's what here's what's going on today. How are we feeling with that? Let them know ahead of time so they're not arguing with you in the middle of the class. I've even let students know before, hey, I, we're doing a project later. I'm wondering how you're going to do with it. So after I give directions, I'm going to come to you separately and we're going to have a conversation. Sound good? Awesome. Let that student know because now that student doesn't need to argue with you in the middle of class. You've already told him the time and the place that you're going to come talk to that student to see how they are feeling about this, about this specific project. They don't need to get in the power struggle. You've prevented the power struggle because you've already identified who might give me a hard time about today and I'm going to do something about it. All right, number five, guys, we've got to be willing to budge. We've got to be willing to negotiate and we've got to be willing to compromise. Yes, we will negotiate with our students. We, I negotiate with my five-year-old all the time. I remember thinking before I was a mom, no, I will not negotiate. This is, it's gonna be this way. Again, if we're in it to win it, we've already lost. We've got to be okay with negotiating. We've got to be able to think ahead of time, what am I good with? What is the end result? What are the what are you know numerous ways that my students can show me that end result? And then also, what is non-negotiable? I had a student that only ever wanted to write in highlighter, and I had to really work with that student on. You can write in a with a lot of different you know mediums. You can write in colored pencil. You can write in pink pen. You can write in whatever. But highlighter doesn't work because I can't read it. So that was a non-negotiable. But everything else, sure, I was open to that. So again, you've got to be willing to budge and know and express the why behind the non-negotiable. It wasn't just you can't use highlighters. It was when you use highlighters, I can't read your writing and I can't give you the grade that you deserve when I can't read your writing. It's a very different outlook when, again, we incorporate that why. All right, the last tip I'm going to share for prevention is you've got to, and this is all about back to the relationships, You've got to know the warning signs, the precursor signs of your students. 
What do they look like, sound like when they are getting elevated, when they are, you know, when they are starting to get heated? And then you go over to them, you chat with them, you touch base with them, let them lay low, give them a choice of something, go back and say, hey, remember, remember what I said, I'm coming to you in about five minutes and we're going to talk through this together. I have some really awesome ideas I'd love your input on. But you've got to know is tapping the pencil, is tapping their foot, is starting to look out of the corner of their eye, is starting to mumble and go, oh, is, are those their warning signs? Are those their precursor? You've got to know your students, which goes right back to number one of knowing the relationship. All right, so those are six ways that I use to prevent power struggles. Let's take a look at how do we how do we react once we're in one? What is the best way that when we realize, oh, I'm in a power struggle, what do we do? So I mentioned this earlier, but the first thing we've got to do is learn to recognize that we are there. And this is something that definitely became easier with practice. Not going to lie, I was in a lot of power struggles my first couple years of teaching, and I didn't even know they were power struggles. It wasn't until someone pointed it out for me that I was like, oh, you're right. So we've got to learn to physically recognize when we're there. Now, for me, I feel it in my shoulders. I feel it in my neck. Everything feels tight. It feels like there's weights sitting on my shoulder. So I know if I'm interacting with a student or more often now in my position, in my role as a behavior specialist, it's often with staff or sometimes even parents. If I start to feel that tightness, I take a literal step back. Like I literally back up, you guys. It not only creates this expansive um, space in between the person you are talking with, but anytime we move our body, we change our brain. I truly believe that. I truly live into that. And so by taking that step back, it gives me that second to check in and be like, what am I doing? What am I actually saying? What is the goal here? Do I, can I continue this conversation or is it going to be a confrontation, which means I need to defer it to another point in time? So first step is you're recognizing you're there. You're taking that physical cue from your body and you're taking a step back. The second thing you're going to do is you're going to take a look around and remember that the audience always plays a role. The audience is always a key. So as a teacher, we don't want to look bad in front of the students and the students certainly do not want to look bad in front of their peers. So if you are in an area where you are in the middle of the classroom and privacy is not an, is not a factor, it's not something that you can live into, meaning you can't leave class right now because you're the sole adult, you're going to immediately defer this conversation to another point in time. Unless you can have it quietly at their desk, you're going to you're going to you're going to pause. You're going to pause the conversation and you're going to let them know when and where this conversation can continue. Now, if you do have the ability to do a walk and talk, to have the student run an errand and then you catch them in the hallway on the way back from that errand to have this conversation, that's a different point. Then you can move into, you're not having a power struggle anymore. Now you're having a conversation. So you wanna remember that privacy always prevails. I talked about that in a previous episode. Privacy is huge. And that audience always plays a key part in this, in this um, power struggle, whether it's gonna continue or we're gonna be able to have it stop and minimize. So I already kind of mentioned number three, but number three is we defer. We're gonna defer until we are calm Remember, this has nothing to do with the student. I cannot change the student's behavior. I can only control and change my own. So if I'm not calm, if I can't share my calm with the student, 
I automatically defer to another time and place. And I will use exactly those words. Hey, you and I right now, we're headed into a power struggle. We're headed into an argument. And that's absolutely not where I want to be. So I need some time so I can lower my emotions so I can get down and actually hear what you're saying so that we can problem solve this together. I'm free during eighth period. Does that work for you? I will come get you. It's as simple as that. Own your emotions, use that I statement and keep it about you. As soon as we tell the student, you need to go calm down and then we will talk about it later. Guys, let's stop talking. Let's stop telling students what they need to do and let's focus on what I need to do. If I'm talking, one of my favorite ways is how Brian Mundler explains it. And he says, you know, if I went to my spouse, my husband, and I said, I need you to do the dishes right now. I need you to go fold my laundry. I need you to cook dinner for me. He would look at me like I had three heads. He'd be like, um, okay, excuse me. Did you have a bad day? What's going on? Yet we use that language with our students. No, instead, I'd say to my husband, hey, I had a really tough day. I'm going to go listen to some relaxing music. If you get a chance, could you happen to fill the dishwasher for me? That'd be, that'd be really awesome. It's, it's totally a different feeling. It's the same thing with our students. Keep it about you. What is going on with you? It's okay to share. It's okay to be vulnerable. We all have emotions. And as teachers, we ask our, our students all the time. We teach zones. We teach emotions. We teach emotional regulation. Yet I still see teachers today that are afraid to say, I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm, I'm exhausted. You know, whatever it is, open up to our students. They When we model it for them, they then get to do it for us, but they've got to see us do it first. That's where trust comes from. They see us do it. They see us actually live into the words that we are expressing every single day, and then they start to do it. That's how this relationship builds. So we're deferring until we are calm, until we can go to a separate private location. Remember, if we're in it to win it, we've already lost. So part of the reason power struggles go on is that we keep reacting, which then which then ignites a new incident, which gets the student new heightened thoughts and feelings, which means we see more behavior. So again, we're gonna defer. Then if we are choosing to defer to a later place in time, we're gonna be okay with having the second to last word. We're gonna say our piece about talking eighth period, we're gonna walk away, get back to teaching, and we're gonna let them mumble because they're gonna remember, remember the audience. They've got peers around that they still need to see later. They still need to hang out with them later. They still need to go to the mall with them later or see them on the football field. And so we're gonna also give a student a choice to keep the student in class. So right now, if you were, if we were arguing about the length of the book we had to read, I can either give the student another, maybe the choice is you can read, you know, five pages instead of 20, or I'm totally okay if your head is down and your body is in class because I love having you here in about five minutes. We're going to be talking about this and I'd love to get your insight. Give them a choice that keeps them in class. Make being in class more exciting, more motivating, more opportunities for celebration and success than being out of the classroom will ever be. Then find power in the nonverbal check-ins, meaning the eye contact, the thumbs up, thumbs down if you have younger students. Just by the way that we rearrange like our eyes and our face, we can check in. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You can just check in. It might just be tapping their desk. Sometimes I will use post-its and I'll just say, doing okay and I'll put it on there and then I look for a response. 
use the nonverbals. We don't need to keep checking in verbally with our students. It's like putting a like an alarm or a siren right over their desk that something's going on. Everyone focus on this kid. So let's do nonverbals instead and take the attention off of that student and, and provide that attention when they are on doing the expected behaviors that we that we want them to be doing. And sometimes, guys, that does mean just having their head down, because remember, just five minutes earlier, they were in your face arguing about something and they were able to calm and re-regulate by doing that, by doing that, putting their head down. And absolutely, you better believe I would praise that. That is my next step. We're going to praise after class in private for handling that conflict and allowing me as the teacher to get back to teaching and reminding the student where and when you were going to meet up with them later. All right. So that all has to do with that fourth step. The last part is, all right, now we're ready to have this conversation. So it's later in the day. We're having the conversation. We want to make sure that we're not reigniting another power struggle. So what are we going to do? We're going to listen to the what over how. We're going to remember we're in a private location. So I'm going to let the student use the words and the language and the tone and the volume minus, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs. But I'm going to let them express the what and I'm going to ignore the how. I'm going to ignore what I can ignore. And I'm going to stay personal to the student without taking it personally what they are saying. Remember, this is them getting it out. This is their venting session, if you will. Let them get it out. I'm going to remain calm because remember, that is what I can control. And that this is not the time to argue the facts. If they say something that you feel is incorrect or you had a different perspective, when it's your time to share your side, you get to say it as it applies to you. But this is not meant to be, well, that's not how I saw it. This is how I saw it. Because guess what? You're right back in the power struggle. You are allowed to have your own opinion, absolutely, but so is the student. So after we give them time to let it out, when it's your time to share, you're going to keep it about you. We're going to keep it focused on this student and this particular situation, making sure that we are not talking about other students. And we're going to talk about you. When you are sharing, you're talking about you. What do you know? What did you see over what do you think? When we start talking about things that we think, meaning things other kids were thinking or other people were thinking, we're making assumptions. And we all know what happens when we make an assumption or when we assume something. All right. So what did you see? What do you know to be true from your perspective? I want you to be really mindful of watching your voice and your facial expressions and your body language. And I want you to make sure you're giving your full undivided attention to your student. So put your phone away, turn off your email so those little dings aren't coming and give that attention to the student. They've waited for it. This is your time to have the conversation. Then the last piece I would add in is we always want this to be teaching, right? We always want to be teaching the student as well as we are always having the student teach us. So when we are ending the conversation, I want you to end with, hey, when this happens next time, when we are in a disagreement, when you hear something in my class that you don't like, and notice this is when, not if, because these will happen again. So set the student up for success. So when this happens, what are we going to do next time? Have that conversation, plant that seed with the student. If they are willing, practice it out. That's that's again how they are going to learn it. One of the one of the basic principles to behavior skills training or learning a new behavior, learning a new skill 
is there, it's a four-step process. We need to, we need to hear the explicit teaching. We need to know what it is. We need to see it modeled. We need to role play it. And then we need to give feedback. And this is a really great time that we could do a little mini lesson on that. Because again, that student is going to get frustrated again. That student is going to feel angry again. It's a part of life. Let's set them up for success and then get them back to class. So, all right, so that, that wraps up really how do we both prevent power struggles and then what do I do when I'm in them? Now, what happens when you are in one? What happens when you've had one? What happens, what happens next? Guys, apologize. Own your part in it. I'm not saying you have to go own the entire thing, but you've got to own your part. If there's a challenge around us, we're a part of it in some way, shape, or form. And I'm sorry always comes first. And a genuine I'm sorry at that. And without an expectation that an apology is going to come back. We've got to stop forcing kids to apologize. I hated it growing up. I don't do it with my daughter. I don't do it with students. I might say, is there, how else could we repair this relationship? I might say, is there anything else we need to do to repair things? But I am never expecting a student to apologize, yet I'm going to always apologize first for my part in it. And it's going to, this is going to help build your trust with the student and that relationship you have with the student. So after you've apologized, after you, you know, you went home, you're like, man, I messed up. I had, I got in this power struggle. Can't believe I did it. Guys, don't beat yourself up about it. Go back the next day, apologize and move on. Don't hold on to it. Don't hold a grudge. And instead of holding a grudge, hold a conversation. If you need to keep having conversations with that student, What's more beautiful than that? Because that, my friends, is where your relationship is going to build. And I'm going to ask you to keep showing up, keep strengthening those relationships. As relationships are not something that we get to check off on a to-do list. They are ongoing. There is no ceiling. There is no cap. So we keep building them. We keep strengthening them. Guys, keep reaching high educators because the world needs us. The world needs you. All right, one last thing before I finish up this episode is I want to just kind of highlight. So this past week, last week at work, I really paid close attention to power struggles that were happening. And, and here's what I saw. So I shared that example with you earlier about the PowerPoint and Google. I also was in a first grade classroom and coming to the carpet is where a power struggle happened. And, and my question is, so can we just start stop with the carpet? Can we stop forcing kids, 20 plus kids to all have to sit on one carpet, especially for a super long period of time. Can't, you know, let the kids sit where they are comfortable. So this power struggle was solely about that. It was the student wanted to sit in a chair and the teacher wanted the student to sit on their letter, which was the letter B. And I just sat in the back and I said, you know, thinking to myself, if we could just say, absolutely, thank you for advocating. Thank you for telling me that you wanted to sit in the chair. Absolutely, you can sit in the chair. I love that. And then you move on. Instead, it became this 10 minute, I kid you not, because I looked at the clock, 10 minute back and forth, the student sat in the chair and not once was praise given for sitting in the chair, being ready to learn. And they just kept prompting them to re-sit on the, on the letter B. And so the lesson was gone, the other kids were off, and I just kept thinking to myself, if we could just let kids sit where they are comfortable, how much different would this 10 minutes have been? One other piece I continue to see in high schools, and this could be an episode in and of itself, is phones with high school students. And guys, 
I'm not going to get into phones right now or anything like that. But what I am going to ask you is as the teacher, make your lesson more exciting than the phone. If, if they are captivated by their phone, which is what? It's fast. It's interactive. It's immediate. We've got to make our lessons the exact same way, but at a, you know, at a, at a higher level because that's what's going to captivate them. That's what's going to mesmerize them. That's what's going to get them into our lesson and away from their phone. Other things you can do is reinforce or praise their attention when it's outside of the phone. I, I, I said to a girl the other day, oh my gosh, I love your eyeshadow. I can see it now. When your eyes came up, that is beautiful. Tell me about it. And while I was able to get her eyes off of her phone for a few minutes, and that's the starting point, small, simple, strategic steps to build the momentum forward. If her phone is in her, her, if her eyes are in her phone for 45 minutes, you bet, you bet I'm going to celebrate four minutes where her, her eyes aren't. That's my starting point. Instead of arguing with them about being on their phone, give that attention. Let them know that you love having them there and you want to see more of them, which means away from their phone. But I'm going to focus more on the things I can control, which is my lesson, my excitement, my engagement. All right, you guys, that is a wrap on power struggles. I so, so hope you learned something new. I hope you are able to take away these tangible tips and use them in any role that you serve. Because again, power struggles do not just happen in the classroom. They happen in life, anywhere and everywhere that there are human beings that we are interacting with. So as I wrap up this episode, I want to remind you of the ways we can connect outside of this podcast, and that is through my email subscription, which you can sign up for from my website, Define University, that's Y-O-U, university.com, and I also send out weekly freebies, so take advantage of those, and in addition, come on and join us in, our, in my Facebook group, Define University. I do a Sunday live every week where, you know, I want to just kick off your week on a positive note. I want to get your momentum building. I want to teach you some insight. And I love connecting with followers on that platform. You guys know my favorite platform is Instagram. Come find me at lindsay.titus828 and make sure to check out those stories. I do my morning message every Monday through Friday, which is one of my fabulous, my favorite and fabulous ways to start off the day. And I love, just love, what better way to get your day started off with some positive momentum. And I also want to remind you that I do have two one-day workshops coming very soon. On March 12th, I will be in Providence, Rhode Island. And on March 13th, I will be in Manchester, New Hampshire. Both are full day workshops where I'm sharing tips and tricks and inspiration for working with your most difficult, challenging students. For more information, you can go to brianmenler.com and click on the regional seminar tab and, uh, and just join from there. So, all right, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I cannot wait to hear what you think about it. What stuck with you? I would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, share it on social media, as that is how we get the message out there, which is what I love. It's, it's what I'm all about, getting this getting this mission out there that as educators, we get to define who we are from within, not by the roles that we serve and all the little steps we take, those small, simple strategic steps we take every day, we get to create the life that we wanna live every single day. All right, everyone, as always, have an amazing week ahead and we will talk soon.